0: Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Talking about Jesus. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please have a seat. Well, a very warm welcome to anyone who's visiting with us this evening. My name is Liz, and I'm the vicar here. And I'm not only the vicar here, but I am also recently, as I have told you once before, a grandmother. And uh, so just the other week, I got to go to England. Isn't she beautiful? That is the perfect baby. Um, her name is Edith, and um, we went to London, and I got to stay with my son Adam and his wife Hayley for 10 days. And honestly, for the first three days, I don't think I did anything very much other than cuddle. I cuddled either in the house or I cuddled on the street or I cuddled as I pushed the pushchair and did all the kind of things which um, I'd been looking forward to doing. And it was just lovely. It was lovely having the opportunity to um, look after Edith while her mom napped or to take her out into the park or had the joy of watching Adam and Hayley beginning to understand her cries, her needs as they marveled at this tiny, complicated, incomprehensible, noisy, restless, beautiful, constantly hungry person that they had brought into the world to join the other 7.7 billion people on the planet. When I was doing, starting to write this earlier, I, I just wanted to double check the number of people on the, in the world. Isn't it extraordinary that there are 7.7 billion people on this planet? I, um, I remember when it became 6 billion. And then I looked, and when I was born, there were 3.3 billion people in the world. In my lifetime, it's gone from 3.3 billion to 7.7 billion. We're living in extraordinary times. But anyway, back to Edith. Holding her just reminded me, it took me back. It took me back to having my own children. It took me back to remembering the way that my parents and my in-laws and my friends and my family constantly and totally daily it felt like came and helped us as we were struggling to work out how to be family together and as with team edith last week we recognized our individual frailty and our complete inability to thrive without the love and support of others around us and that's true for edith but it's just as much true for adam and haley and it got me thinking about the intricacies of family and community life, and our interconnectedness to one another, and how each one of us has an individual trajectory, and how we choose to live whilst acknowledging our love and our indebtedness uh, to each other, and to this great cloud of witnesses that we've been thinking about already this evening. And then on the way back from the UK on the plane, I watched a number of movies. Um, It was a day flight, which is always really exciting because you can often cram in like three, if not four movies if you really try hard. But one of the ones which was most memorable, I won't tell you which the other ones were I watched, but I watched the one called He Called Me Malala, about Malala Yousafzai, often just known as Malala. And you might have heard of her. She's a Pakistani young lady, and um, she really came to prominence six, eight, six years ago, because she was um, campaigning for the education of women. As the Taliban were moving across Pakistan, they were shutting down girls' schools, and they were saying girls could no longer be educated. Malala is the daughter of teachers, and her parents and family have a number of schools, and she was outraged. She wanted to be educated, and she wanted other girls to be educated. And so she stood up for herself and for other young women and said, no, we deserve the right be educated and that led actually when she was 16 to an assassination attempt on her life and the bus she was traveling on was hijacked and she and a couple of other girls on the bus were shot and she got a bullet through her head fortunately she survived she's 22 now so that was six years ago it was amazing listening to her story and watching her interact with her family and friends as she told the story of how she had grown up and what it had meant to her to grow up in Pakistan and to see this change happening in her lifetime. And then also made me wonder because the other young woman, teenager Greta Thornburg, has also been in the news a lot recently, the climate activist. And she's also an extraordinary young woman, as she's going about stirring up the world and causing all kinds of repercussions on herself, let alone anyone else, as she challenges us to think about. The climate, to think about uh, the way that we are destroying our planet, to think about what's happening with global warming. These two young women are quite extraordinary. They're courageous voices speaking out for justice, for equality, for good stewardship. And to me both girls are a really powerful reminder of our singularity, the importance of the individual voice but also the way God has equipped and called each one of us. They are so clearly stepping into being fully who they call to be at the moment. And they have been called to be a loud voice for our culture, and they're using their gifts and abilities to influence the global conversation, using it powerfully, perhaps such a stark contrast to some of the other voices which speak loudly into our global context. But one of the other things I noticed as I read into both of their stories more was just the uh, role of their family and friends around them. Both of them come from very supportive families. Both of them come from situations where their community has stood around them to love them and support them. They speak with their own voices, but they're enabled to do so by being part of a larger community. And what is noticeable about these girls is that they both have a very clear trajectory. They're very clear about what they believe and where they're aiming. We are in no doubt about what motivates them. And that is generally often true for those people who do reach the public eye. That's just a handful of people really. Again, remember those 7.7 billion that we are a part of? So as well as those who step into prominence, there are of course millions and billions of the rest of us who are faithfully utilizing our gifts in the places that we are, in the communities where we're situated, in the workplaces where we go daily, influencing our local relational networks, making trillions of small choices day by day, choices for good or ill, choosing to live either with or without integrity in any moment. And we all live simply by making small choices, We had Q Commons on Friday night at our house and it was uh, delightful. These speakers who were speaking into how we can look for a better future and one of the talks actually picked up on this idea and there were two quotes that were given. One from Mother Teresa who said, do small things with great love. And the other one I quite liked was one from Bono. I hope when the day is done, I've been able to tear a little corner off the darkness in order to make those good small choices it helps if we're consistent and in order to be consistent we need to know our trajectory the most significant thing we will make or the most significant choice or decision each one of us will make is to decide who or what to follow what we will aim for in our lives because that trajectory will then inform those other choices For many of us here in this room, probably not all, we have paid attention to one significant narrative that has influenced our lives, the story of Jesus, a man who was fully human, who lived a sinless life, who made choice after choice after choice in a line with the trajectory he was on, but then whose death and resurrection testified to his full divinity as well. And for those of us who have made a decision to follow Jesus, to listen to his teachings, one of the key decisions we've made along the way the choice that we've made, just as Christine is going to do shortly, is to identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus through being baptised. As it says in Romans, do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were, buried th- we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life if we have been united with him in a death like his we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his that's quite a trajectory to choose and christine will shortly declare her desire to commit her life to following jesus and she does that by then making lots and lots of small decisions by herself often and yet we also all know that she will thrive best when she is community in community and Corrie will stand with her as she is baptized. And we will all stand and make promises to support her in her chosen trajectory. Because Jesus asks us to live in community, even as he asks us to speak out of our individuality. And then, after Christine is baptized, a group of people is going to come and stand up at the frontier to commit to being members of this community. Again, saying that they're going to make choices on their own, but they're going to do it within the context of this group of people, that they're going to be mutually accountable to one another for the choices that they make as they deliberately seek to live like Christ. I'm not expecting baby Edith to um, eat with a knife and fork anytime soon or to walk around the apartment or to speak her mind. We expect her to grow as she's fed. We expect her to smile and laugh and burp when she's cuddled. We expect her gradually to learn to make choices which contribute to her thriving in the community of people which are around her. And that community of people includes her parents, her grandparents, her friends, those people who will stand up through her life. But even just as we are all acknowledging our communities and earlier on we lit candles, remembering people who have influenced us. Perhaps your picture wasn't up there of the person you were thinking about. Perhaps you wept, perhaps you wept for your own mortality. But today we're paying attention to that great cloud of witnesses, but we're also remembering that we stand on the shoulders of people who've made decisions for millennia. Our cloud of witnesses has deep roots. As we've been following along through the book of Acts, we've been hearing stories about how the baby church came to be in those first days after the resurrection of Jesus. And our reading earlier took a specific story at a specific moment. When at a church gathering, a group got together and they worshipped. Together they then prayed and fasted. Together they felt a prophetic call and they needed to send Paul and Barnabas, or as Saul as he still called at this point, out on a journey. They discerned a trajectory which was going to influence Saul or Paul and Barnabas, which would lead to influencing our trajectory. They discern together Paul's path. And so often we also need people around us to help us distinguish that trajectory of our lives and then help us to stick to it. I find it fascinating that it was the church together who heard the call. It was church together that heard that the Holy Spirit was giving them directions. It was the church together who laid hands on Paul and Silas and sent them off on the first of which was to be a number of missionary journeys, reaching out beyond their immediate confines to a world beyond, starting with a not very far away island of Cyprus, but gradually getting further and further away. Together, they began to preach this message, to call people to make a choice to set the trajectory of their lives to following Jesus. One of the things I find fascinating about this little passage from Acts is it's the last time that Paul is called Saul and it's the last time his name comes second in any list. From then on, it tends to be Paul, Paul, Paul all the way. And Paul had a really strong message, a message which focused on pointing people to Jesus, calling them to follow the way he taught them to live. And Paul would ultimately die for this message, but he desperately wanted people to pay attention to the choices that they were making to come to know that they were loved, loved by the creator of the world. You might get the chance to speak up for climate change at uh, the UN one day, but you might not. Uh, There are many choices that you will get to make. There will be things which are dear to your heart, passions which are laid on you, which you need to speak up for. And I wonder what your calling is or whether your calling is just to faithfully make small choices day by day in the community in which you are placed. Sometimes it can be hard to know exactly how we're going to make those small choices. And so I love the fact that today's lectionary um, gospel reading was this passage from Matthew, because I thought that's perfect, it's exactly what we want to focus on, because Jesus wants us to prioritize our lives and actions in a very topsy-turvy way. He speaks clearly about the way he choose, we choose to speak into the world, the choices we're going to make. Tonight we've been reminded that we're not alone. We're part of so much, something so much bigger than ourselves. And so tonight I would like you to just look at this passage and to think, where is it that I need to grow in my ability to make choices? Is Jesus calling you to a greater poverty of spirit? Is he calling you to pay attention to where you are mourning? Is he calling you attention to where you need to be meek? Where you need to hunger or thirst for righteousness? Is he calling attention to where you need to exercise mercy? Where you need to be pure in your heart, in your choices, where he's calling you to be a peacemaker. Or much more uncomfortably, why is he calling you to be persecuted for righteousness' sake? To stand firm when you are reviled and persecuted on his account. Because then, he says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets, who are part of our cloud of witnesses. In a moment, we're going to have some silence. Silence. And I encourage you to take one or two of those phrases and to hold on to it, to chew over them, to ask God to put his finger on something in your life, a place where you need to make some choices. Choices that will influence your small range of contact of people in the 7.7 billion people on this earth. Your choices that will work for good, which will work for God. Earlier, Morgan prayed this beautiful prayer, and I'm going to finish with it before we are quiet. Lord Jesus, your saints have been the lights of the world in every generation. Grant that we who follow in their footsteps may be made worthy to enter with them into that heavenly country where you live and reign forever and ever. Amen.